As you know, I'll probably knock this down three more times, but that's okay. I'm French and I flail my hands a little bit, but we'll make it work. Acts chapter 4 is where we're picking up this morning. It's a blessing to be back. Uh, seven of us went down to Philadelphia last week and uh, this past week and were extremely blessed by uh, awesome fellowship. Everybody who's been that was there just nodding their heads. Uh, incredible teaching from pastors that have been doing this for four decades. Uh, I'm in my first year <laughs> of doing this, so I'm kind of that guy with the, the notepad just going a mile a minute, you know, listening to what these these men have to share with us. And uh, some some messages such as keep driving the bus, you know, Pastor Al Pittman out of, I think, uh, Colorado Springs. A message that just says, no matter what you're doing, just keep driving the bus. You're the, the ministry is the bus, and you are called to lead that ministry. So your job is to be the bus driver. Keep driving the bus. Keep going on. Those encouragements that we all need in our lives, right? And uh, I know that I needed as a, as a brand new senior pastor. I've been going to that conference for oh, you know, off and on for about 20 years now. It hit me a little bit different this year because of where I'm at and you know what I'm doing here. And uh, the Lord ministered to me, and the greatest, uh, the greatest thing that he spoke to me was rest, because I'm always going a mile a minute. There's always a lot going on. I, I work full-time outside of here, family, all that stuff. And uh, I'd be like, okay, I need to, I need to you know, stay up late, fellowship and everything, get up early in the morning. And the Lord's like, in my words, dude, rest. You know, just relax, take a break. And that's what he did, and he, he just let me be fed. And that was uh, that was what it was about for me. I'm, uh, as I've shared, I'm very much uh, I have the same tendencies that Martha would would. I, I've just got to keep going. Gotta, there's stuff that needs to be done and everything. And what how Mary conducted herself sitting at the feet of the Savior and just listening. And I was I was blessed to be able to do so. And I know my brothers uh, that went down there were so blessed to be able to do so. And uh, God is good, and He's doing an amazing work. We're almost 2,000 men there, and uh, and it was a a great time of, of fellowship between us and for all of us to be sharpened and strengthened, and uh, that I consider it ministry training for us, and it was a great blessing. Missed you guys, though, so I'm glad to be back. So Acts chapter 4 is where we're at this morning. As a recap, we ended in Acts chapter 4, uh, 4 verse 5, so... Uh, as uh, as custom here at uh, this church is we go through the Bible verse by verse. So where we leave off today, we'll pick up next week. So if this if uh, what is said today ministers to you, that's an appointment you had between you and the Lord. It's not anything that anybody called ahead and said, hey, you knew this. And, uh, you know, they said, hey, this person's going to be here. You need to talk about this. Next week, we'll pick up and ask, well, if we get there today, about 15 minutes behind right now. But uh, Acts uh, thir- uh, 4 verse 32 is, is where we're scheduled to pick up next week. And uh, that's just what the Lord does. So uh, as we are uh, considering where we're picking up today, just a recap, Peter and John, uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit, had healed a man that was asking alms of the temple. And we learned that he was lame from his mother's womb. So the man was never able to walk. Uh, in his life, and he spent all his days asking for alms and and begging. 
And on the day that he uh, was healed, uh, he was doing the same. And he looked at Peter and John, and he's asking alms, and Peter said, look at me. And he fixed his eyes on Peter, expecting to receive something. And Peter's response was, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, uh, I give to you in the name uh, of Jesus Christ, uh, get up and walk. So he reached down and took the man and, and picked him up. And he was uh, immediately healed. And he was healed not only walking, but he's jumping and leaping and praising God. And we talked about the instant healing for him. He didn't need to go through occupational therapy, through physical therapy. It was an instantaneous, uh, miraculous thing that happened uh, in his life. And he was instantly able to not only walk, but to leap and praise God. And this is a man that never experienced that in his life. And uh, as, we, as we talked about... Watched all the other kids playing, kicking a ball around or whatever it was. Never had that opportunity to have a job to provide for himself, to walk around and um, you know do other things, help somebody carry something. Never had those opportunities, and he did instantly. So everybody around knew him, and everybody noticed this change in his life. And Peter recognized the opportunity as everybody's starting to focus, and he starts to preach. And as he's preaching, everybody's honed right in on what Peter is saying. And they, uh, the religious leaders caught wind and uh, they, that, that they were teaching the people and that they preached a resurrected Christ. And uh, they uh, took Peter and John into captivity, but the work of the gospel had already been done and the church had grown uh, another 2,000 from 3,000 to 5,000. God was at work. There was nothing that could be done. So what we'll see here is that the name of Jesus Christ is the focus of our study, and the name of Jesus Christ is on trial as we study, and that there are three groups that we're going to look at, the apostles, the council, and then the uh, congregated church. So uh, looking first in verse 5, we're going to discuss the apostles defending his name. In verse 5 of Acts chapter 4, it says, and it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? So uh, what we see uh, from when we finished our uh, study in the Gospel of John is that there was always opposition to Christ and during his ministry. And it was always the religious leaders of Israel, the ones that were supposed to know the scriptures that spoke of him so that when they see him, they would recognize him. They didn't recognize him because they're, as Stephen says in Acts chapter 7, their hearts were hard and their necks were stiff. They were, they, he didn't fit into the mold that they wanted. They wanted a conquering king. They wanted to be set free from Rome. And when they found out that Jesus wasn't doing that and that he was bucking the system, so to speak, that he was uh, not following along with the traditions of man, that he was honoring the word of God over their traditions, they wanted to kill him. They were offended at the fact that he was healing people, a man that was lame 38 years, uh, just laying there by a pool. That he healed him on the Sabbath. It was a wrong day for them, apparently. And Jesus had to confront their religious hearts. And, and so this, this usual suspect group that gets brought together, 
uh, here. So what we see is uh, as James, uh, Peter, and, and John were, were brought in to the rulers, the these are the usual suspects. And uh, what we see here uh, that's about to start is a meeting of the Sanhedrin, which is seven, 70 religious leaders made up of uh, the uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, and uh, so you'd have those religious leaders and the high priest. So the question they have is, as they have everybody gathered together, they say uh, in verse 7, by what power or by what name have you done this? I, I believe that uh, they... They ask this question and they learn real quick they don't want the answer. They already, it's one of those questions they already knew the answer. They already knew what was happening, but they had to hear them say it. So Peter, verse 8, says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means uh, he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone that was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. So Peter, when the question is asked, being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's the key ingredient to any effective ministry, the power of the Holy Spirit. Anytime a minister is trying to minister outside of and by their own strength, uh, that ministry is going to fail as man can fail. But when we understand who the Spirit is and and what he is here to do, that he... that. As the Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where it says, where Jesus told them, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to, and to the end of the earth. Jesus Christ gave us, he, he promised the Holy Spirit that we uh, would receive strength, that specifically them at that time would receive boldness from, from the Lord. We understand about the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, who's equally God, just like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that he is known as the Comforter, the one that would bring comfort. The Holy Spirit at this point was their power, their strength, and he was the one that would give them boldness. So Peter, and we've talked about Peter's failure. We've talked about Peter rejecting the Lord in front of men. Remember what Jesus Christ said. If you, if you uh, accept me, if you uh, proclaim my name, think, uh, I'm losing the word there. If you uh, reject me in front of men, I will reject you in front of my father. Right? Peter had heard all these teachings. And he had watched Jesus transform lives. Heal the lame. Raise the dead. And you'd think somebody who had seen all those things would be firm in their faith. And would never be shaken. We know that was different with Peter. That Peter fell. He had a pride issue. And he said, even though if everybody else follows you, even if everybody else falls away, I should say, I, I won't fall away. You know, if everybody else denies you, I won't. I'll die with you. And Jesus had to break the news to him. You know, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. We know the end, of the end of the story, right? He denied the Lord. And it was the lowest point in his life, but the Lord restored him. Restored him in his relationship with the Lord and restored him to ministry. 
And now that he's been restored and he's been filled with the Holy Spirit, he can stand in front of these 71 religious leaders, right? You have the 70 and the high priest. He can stand in front of them in the boldness and in the power of the Holy Spirit and speak this way to them. So he stands and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he faces this situation, uh, you know, if we were facing it alone, we'd get overwhelmed. However, Jesus told us uh, as a great encouragement and, uh, and great comfort in Mark chapter 13, verses 10 and 11. He says, and the gospel must first be preached to all the nations, but when they arrest you. And deliver you up. Do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Peter is being used just as Jesus had promised him during his ministry. So that's Mark chapter 13 verses, oh, you have it there, 10 and 11. That's what Peter's doing. He's opening his mouth and the Holy Spirit is speaking through him. So Peter, as he stands up and he has all their attention, he says, if we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man. So Jesus dealt with the same people. And as I, I spoke of earlier, he would heal on the Sabbath and religious leaders wanted to, to kill him. That man at the pool of Bethesda was 38 years, 38 years lame. Jesus healed him, told him, go your way and sin no more. So we learned that that is indicative of the fact that there was sin in his life to, that led to his paralysis. 38 years laying by a pool hoping to be, hoping to be healed is a long time. I'm 43. You know, it's five extra years that you take away from my life. If you took those, those five years away from my life and I'm 38 years old and that whole time I'm laying next to a pool, that's crazy. Any of us can do that math in our lives. 38 years is a long time. I've got friends that didn't make it to 30, 38, uh, 35. Never made it to 40. I'm sure all of us uh, know people that haven't. That's a long time to lay there. And rather than rejoicing, these people wanted to kill Jesus because he did it on the Sabbath. And as I spoke earlier, they were honoring their traditions over the word of God. And in Mark chapter 7, it says that they would make the word of God of no effect. This man was lame from his mother's womb that we're talking about today. He's a helpless man, it says. Helpless, unable to help himself, and he needed help from others. But what we learned last week and what we're learning now is he needed more than just the pity and charity of man in his life. There was more needed. You know, the pity and charity of man had provided for him up till then, but God had such a greater plan for his life. And we saw that unfolding in his life. Peter goes on to say, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel. This is the boldness that comes from preaching in the name, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Christ. And he said, let it be known to all. Hey, let's, let there be no question about it. That's what he's saying here. If we, if we want to break it down. Hey, if you want to know exactly who it is, listen up because I'm going to give you that name. I'm going to give you the name. And he does. You know, Peter's speaking with God-given boldness, and he wanted everybody uh, there in, in Israel to know uh, by how this man was healed. And he says, By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. That's, that's powerful. Jesus Christ 
is the one responsible for making this one whole. You want to know? They asked the question. He gave them the answer. No doubt they're looking at him with daggers in their eyes, right? He's in front of the religious council, the Sanhedrin. Talk about an intimidating situation. Ever been intimidated to share the gospel? Yeah, this is 71 religious leaders that have the power to take him out and do whatever they want to, of course, with the permission of Rome, because Rome had taken away their permission to kill somebody. But they, what it, they just do to Jesus, right? That intimidation that could be there. But by the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon him, he's able to do this. The same Jesus that they had crucified, the same Jesus that had been raised from the dead, the cornerstone that they had rejected, quoting Psalm 118. That chief cornerstone was the most important stone of a building. It was the, the building that would have been the very foundation and what they would use for all their measurements. That chief cornerstone is very important. If you consider uh, the Christ as the foundation, that, that he himself is the foundation of the church. Remember when, when uh, Jesus asked the disciples and he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, you're right, Peter. And upon that, that rock, I will build my church. That Jesus Christ is the rock. Peter wasn't the rock. Jesus Christ is the rock. His name is the rock. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, was responsible for healing this man. Peter's no longer ashamed. He's boldly speaking here. And God's spirit was his strength. The, you know, the boldness to stand in Christ's name came from the Holy Spirit. And he, the boldness to be able to look at them and say, the one that you crucified. I mean, those are fighting words, right? Those are things that are going to get somebody fired up. And he's not afraid to share it because the Holy Spirit was his strength. So he's defending Jesus Christ in front of this council. And he's bringing these things up. You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. This lame man that had never stood before. I, lo I love that it, it, it's, it's speaking of, of this man. This, this, that it says in here that he stands before them. If you look at verse 10. It says, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This man that had never stood before was now standing. He's never stood before. And when Peter can say he's standing before you whole. Remember when we were studying in Acts chapter 3 last week? He's standing there and he's holding on. He's got a grip on Peter and John. He, these guys aren't going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. These are my new best friends, right? He instantly had new best friends. These are the guys that God used uh, to save me and, and to heal me. You know, for the believer in Christ, we are also made whole in his name. You know, this, this man, what we learn from the scripture is that in Christ we're new creations, that we can stand whole. We may not have been crippled from our mother's womb. We may have uh, uh, been walking fine physically, spiritual train wrecks, right? And everybody around us knew it. Everybody around us saw the, the depravity that was happening in our life and the destruction that was coming from sin in our lives. 
But he's like, there's no hope for that person. They've never stood before. In Christ, we can stand. I love that the scripture says that if any man is in Christ, is a new creation. Old things have passed. Behold, all things have become new. All things, not some things, everything. Talk about a clean slate. That's a spiritual clean slate in Christ. We are new creations. It's not like it's not like there's a little bit. We as human beings like to drag the, the old. We talked about this before, right? We like to drag the old flesh behind us. You know, weird as it is, that's how we like to do this. We don't sometimes don't like to let go of things, and we want to, you know. Well, can I just drag this thing along a little bit? A little rotting. Don't mean to be gross, but that 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 old person. We want to drag them along to keep those old things, but that's not how Christ works. He just there's there's a newness in him. There's life in him. You know, we people may recognize us by our old chains, but those are gone. You know, he, we've been set free in the name of Christ. They might remember the old thing, and, and it might be able to have the conversation of, you're different. There's something different about you, and that's our opportunity to lovingly share the gospel with them. Usually, we're not going to look at them and go, you're a sinner, you need to repent, or you're going to hell. Yes, <laughs> we know that that's biblically true, but it's a way of presenting the gospel in love, right? Just say, you know what? God changed my life. The love of God changed my life. Jesus Christ changed my life. It's by the power of his name that we can stand whole, just like this guy did. Verse 12, Peter continuing in his, in his message, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is very exclusive. You know, we live in a world today where uh, that's that would be um, a very contentious. And it is very contentious that there's one way to heaven. Peter says here that there's salvation in no other name. He's speaking of salvation of the soul, forgiveness of sins. Being saved from the penalty of our sin, it can't happen in any other name. Salvation comes by faith in Christ. When we have professed that faith in Christ, the grace of God, because of the finished work on the cross, saves us and covers and washes away our sins. That, that if we believe in our, in our hearts and confess with our mouths, then we're saved. There's nothing else we need to do. Peter's standing there saying, that there's one way to, to be saved. There's one name that, that leads to salvation. It's the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he's, he's preaching this to these people that know who Jesus is. They don't want to hear the name. They don't want to hear it. There's no name under heaven by uh, given, uh, sorry, uh, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other religious system. Jesus Christ said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. The name of Christ was the emphasis of chapter 3 and chapter 4. You know, the power that lies in his name. You wanted to know, guys? They asked the question. He flat out tells them. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, and there's no other name. Uh, given un, un, under heaven, given amongst men, by which we must be saved. They got their answer for sure. Verse 13, 
Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. When they saw the boldness and they saw that they were uneducated and untrained, you know, regarding religious training and, and schooling that they had, they, uh, the King James Version, if you have that in your hand, uh, says that they were unlearned and ignorant. They were just normal dudes, fishermen. You could, you could put that in there, you know, in, in, in uh, parentheses or whatever. These, these were just normal guys. And when they saw that they were just normal guys and they're speech, speaking the, world, the word boldly, they knew that there was something up. Now, Bible colleges um, have a lot to offer. They really do. <clears throat> there is uh, sometimes a, uh, what I've seen in my life is two extremes when it comes to ministry. One side will say, if you haven't had the Bible training uh, that, that men would say is, would qualify you for service, then you shouldn't be a pastor or you shouldn't be uh, in certain positions in serving. And I've seen the other side that says, well, that's not worth anything. Those two extremes that, hey, you know, Bible college is worthless. All you need to do is this, this, and this. Find myself right in the middle. There is great advantage to being able to separate ourselves and go through great Bible teaching and learn and grow and, and, and grow in the scriptures. And there's also a great advantage to our lives to just be hidden in the word of God for years and be and serving in ministry, serving in the church, grabbing trash, talking to people, sweeping up the floor, whatever it is that God teaches us as we're serving him. These men were saying, these guys don't have any of the religious training, but yet they're speaking the word of God boldly. What's happening here? There's that, that confusion for them. What I would say is that ultimately we should do ministry as the Lord calls us. Calvary Chapel has a saying that, that's where God guides, God provides. You know, the Lord's not going to lead us to uh, a, a point where uh, we don't have what we need to do what he calls us to do. Don't let that confuse you with, and you've heard me say this before, that God does most definitely give us more than we can handle. He most definitely does because that makes us rely upon him. He does. He loves to do that because then he's the one that gets the glory, right? Now, I'm not going to like get into a red-faced argument with anybody over that, but God does give us more than we can handle because that draws us to him, because that puts us in a place of submission where we need to cry out. And then when we see him working in our lives, oh, then he gets the glory in our hearts and through our lives, right? When people look and they're like, I don't know, he just he accepted the Lord and he's been following the Lord or she's been really diving into the scriptures and look how her life is blossomed and how God's using her to minister and, and how she's sharing God's love with so many people. I don't know how to describe it. God's love. It's God's spirit working. But they noticed something about these guys and they realized that they had been with Jesus. They had marveled. Remember when Jesus was 12 years old, the religious leaders are listening to him and they're marveling. Like, where did this kid come from, right? These guys here, they're just untrained and unlearned people. And they're speaking boldly in front of all the religious leaders. 
they had the most important ingredient they needed to have any type of successful ministry. They're speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit and because they had been with Jesus. They had been with him. They had physically walked with Jesus and ministered for three years. Could we do the same? Yes. The Lord will do the same work. We have written down what the, what the apostles uh, witnessed and, and uh, what they saw and what they heard. They wrote it down so that it, being inspired by the Holy Spirit to do so, so that we can be equipped to do ministry, that we can understand who God is, who Jesus Christ is, what he said, what he meant. All those things are available to us. It's the most important part for us to spend time with our creator. As we spend time with him, he changes our lives. He uh, encourages us. He builds us. He makes us stronger. And we're able to learn from him and then share what we're learning from him through the word. They had spent time with Jesus. They were plugged in with the source. There was no training curriculum. I, 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 I had actually had somebody, and I've shared this before, so if you've heard it, apologize. You guys know I repeat myself. But uh, they had seen that they had been in the personal prayer times with Jesus. And they had personal Bible studies with Jesus. Their, their, their small group, that close-knit group. They had spent time with Jesus. I, uh, when I was in Washington State and I was uh, serving, um, I was an intern in youth ministry and eventually took over the, the youth, uh, youth ministry. Uh, Jen and I, I did, and we were ministering to the young men and women, Spokane Valley uh, in Washington State. And... The Lord was using us, is building us. And I'm having a conversation with somebody at work that, that was uh, a believer. Uh, when I get back to Maine, and I'm having this discussion, I can't even remember who it was, but he's a believer. And I said, yeah, it, it wasn't, I, I've never gone forth and talked to people like, yeah, pastor or anything like that. I just, it was just, a discussion. yeah, when uh, you know, my, I was a uh, youth pastor over in Washington, I'm, I'm in mid-sentence and he stops me. You couldn't have been a youth pastor. I'm like, What? You couldn't have been a youth pastor. You didn't go to Bible college. I'm like, really? Okay. And I just listened to him for a little bit. I, I just asked him, how many of the disciples went to Bible college? You know, right? Like I said, Bible college, awesome. If you can do I've done some classes, truly blessed, truly blessed. But the calling of the Lord is the most important thing. The calling of the Lord, that time with Jesus Christ. Just to, that, that, you know, that guy could have derailed me from any type of ministry. I knew the Lord had settled in my heart. You're where I want you to be. The strength that I needed and everything that I needed to do ministry was, I don't have my Bible up here because it moves this thing and it, it sinks the, or I'll knock it off or whatever. So I print out my verses here. But everything I need is in that Bible. Everything's right there. You know, the Spirit's going to speak to me. He's going to teach me. I could have gotten derailed. Like I said, Bible college, awesome. If you, if the Lord is calling you to do it, pray and ask him to lead you to where uh, he, he leads you and go. Get trained. That's awesome. Find a great Bible college. It's going to teach you the word of God and go. These were untrained men that they had just been with Jesus. When you consider the early church, they weren't relying on anything. They didn't have big budgets to back them up. They didn't have a bunch of rich people saying, hey, here you go. 
We're going to get into that a little bit more next week. What they relied upon was prayer. They relied upon the Word of God. They didn't sit there and go, well, do we have the academic accomplishments and the credentials to do so? They had the commission of Christ to do so. They had His Word. He had been training them all this time. With that training, the commission of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, that's how they were ministering. The Word of God should be the focus. The Word will teach us everything we need to know about God, about this life, how to love, how to live, how to minister, how to be freed from the chains of sin, to know Jesus, to look forward to eternity where our citizenship is. These guys had it all. They, they were all trained up. They were ready to go. They didn't have the credentials these other men did, but they had Jesus Christ. Verse 14, And seeing the man who had been healed... Standing with them, they could say nothing against it. The evidence spoke for itself. The man that was healed was standing right there with them and couldn't say anything against it. You know, God's work was undeniable. He's standing right there. We're going to we're going to learn at the end of this, uh, near the end of this chapter. This man was over forty years old. It was undeniable what God had done. They couldn't. They there was there was just nothing there. For them to stand on. They couldn't say anything against it. So the first group that we're studying. The disciples. They defended Christ. The second group. The council. The ones that were opposing his name. Verse 15. But when they had commanded them to go aside. Out of the council. They conferred among themselves saying. What shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they realize they've got nothing. The miracle was evident to all. They couldn't deny it. But we see the, the key motive here in verse 17 but so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. But we have to stop this from spreading. We've got to stop it. That's, that's their approach. And again, they're worried about their positions of power. They're worried that Rome is going to come take over. We've studied that. We, I won't belabor that any, any further. But they knew that they were wrong. You know, they weren't seeking the truth. They were looking to avoid it, right? Isn't that what a governing body should be doing, looking for the truth and to uphold that truth? No, they're like, hey, we know what happened. How do we avoid it? How do we shut it down, right? Let's just threaten them. Let's just be bullies, right? They're out on the playground. Just They're trying to corner Peter and John and say, and, and the guy that was healed, and they're going to put them in the corner. Hey, let's, let's just, just severely threaten them. Let's just get them in the corner like bullies in a playground, and we're going to tell them to stop. Kind of a funny thing to look at. Let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. This is the official beginning of persecution of the Christian church right here. This was the first part. Christ was, was, uh, was persecuted. We know that. But the church as a whole, this is the first recording we have of them being persecuted, being told to stop ministering in the name of Jesus Christ. This is a powerful moment for the church to know, understand, and to be able to look back on. 
that these two men, that Peter and John, as they're standing there, could have buckled and said, hey, sorry about that. We're going to pack up and go. No, you know, no harm, no foul, right? We're going to head out of here. But that's not the, the case. Look at verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Hey, great guys. Appreciate the threatening and everything. But they're being told not to teach or speak in the name of Jesus Christ. You need to be quiet. You cannot carry the Christian message any further, is what they're being told. They're being commanded to stop speaking and teaching in the name of Jesus. It was the name of Jesus that was the problem. You know, they thought they had gotten rid of Christ, and uh, you know now there's some more miracles happening, and, and they're being attributed to Jesus again. If you look at verse 19, as they're being severely threatened, like they said, right? Look at verse 19. The first word says, but. There's a contrast. But. Peter and John have to explain why they're not stopping. Why they've, you know, what they've seen and heard has to be shared. They were commissioned by Christ. They have no choice, right? The Great Commission was given directly to them. That they were to go and make disciples of all nations. That they had to go into their, their you know, in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the surrounding areas. And to the ends of the earth, right? That's what Jesus Christ said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. They were commissioned by Christ. So their question, uh, you know, when they're told that, they said, whether it's right uh, in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Like, guys, we've been commissioned by Jesus Christ. We've seen and heard what he's done, and we can't be quiet. We can't shut up if you want to look at it that way. We cannot close our mouths. We have to speak this. They're held accountable to a higher authority now because Jesus had given them that commission. And he told them that the, the Holy Spirit was coming and that they would receive power to be witnesses, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So Peter uh, and Paul, James too, as you're reading through epistles, and uh, when, you're, when you're going through those things, you're going to see that these men describe themselves as bondservants of Jesus Christ. They're slaves. Willing slaves of Jesus. We've talked about the bond servant, right? When they wanted to be a lifelong servant, you look in the Old Testament, they would go to the doorposts of, of, of the house. And the, the, uh, the owner would, would take them. And it was, this, it was a wonderful celebration. This was a big deal. When somebody loves somebody so much, they say, you know what? I don't want to go anywhere else. I'm going to make myself a willing bond servant. I want to be a part of this family serving this family for the rest of my life. I want to lay uh, all freedoms I have down, and I, I want to be here. And they would take, they would, uh, they would pound uh, an awl into their ear and into the doorpost, making a symbolic uh, uh, reference to them becoming part of the family, put a gold earring into their ear. It was, it was a wonderful thing to be a bond servant, where you've laid down any right to yourself and said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. These men identified themselves as willing slaves, willing servants of Jesus Christ. And when it comes to obeying God and obeying man, the answer is clear every time. 
Now the scripture tells us in Romans 13, uh, verse 1, it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Should we be rebels about everything? Absolutely not. We are called to uh, living our lives uh, obedient to the laws of the land. That's, that's what we're called to do. And, and uh, if, if, if you have arguments, we have those things, we have to go to the word of God and open up Romans 13 and, and see what it says. The problem here is that they are being told to disobey God. And when we're called to whether we're going to obey man or obey God, that's the question. If we're going to be told, now uh, having retired from the military, there was a, a point in my career that I, we, we're going to go a couple minutes over, um, I apologize, but um, there's a point in my career where the chaplains were being told, you can no longer pray in the name of Jesus Christ. You just It has to be a blanket prayer. Well, for a Christian chaplain, that's hard to do because they have their job to do. There are other chaplains. There are all kinds of you know, uh, different representatives, but that what they wanted is for these uh, these. Uh, uh, I, I just call them chaplains. Uh, these chaplains to no longer say the name of Jesus Christ. Some of them are saying, "I'm done." Some of them just did it anyways. Sometimes they get they get threatened, and sometimes they get punished, uh, and sometimes it just didn't. It, it never had any any effect. But they were being told, "You don't preach in the name of Jesus Christ. We want blanket." And and that's very much our society now is. Well, the God of your understanding. For the Christian, that doesn't work. Right? That's, Jesus Christ said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. God, all through the scriptures say there's one God. There's one God. It's very exclusive. God is very inclusive where he wants everybody to come to know him as their father, and he's provided salvation, all those things. But if I'm told that I can't preach in the name of Jesus Christ, <laughs> bring on the bring on the bracelets, you know, because I'm going to preach in the name of Jesus. They're being told they can't speak or teach in the name of Jesus Christ. That's where the problem comes. We're called to pray. We're called to pray for our leaders. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore I exert, exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We are called to pray for those in authorities, whether you like them or not, right? We, we have to pray for them, that they would have God's wisdom. I don't care what side of the political parties you're on. Those that are in leadership over us, we need to pray for them. Why? What does it say here? That we may lead quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. That's awesome. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. Pray for them. That's what we're supposed to do. We have to pray for our leaders. But understand, when we are told uh, that, hey, there, you can't, you, you know, if I'm told as, as a pastor, you can't preach in the name of Christ, 
there's the line. The line, it's, I've got to choose. Am I going to obey man or am I going to obey God? Have to. Have to obey God. I'm responsible to minister, and God has called pastors to be shepherds. We have to be here preaching in the name of Christ. If I'm here preaching in a blank God's name, then I hope, I, and I know, never mind, I'm not even going to go there, because I know you guys all too well that you'd be like, what is going on with you? What's going on here? It has to be in the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 21 so they hadn't worked here. So uh, verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. So uh, for the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So they further threatened them. They were too scared of the people and God had been glorified. This man was over 40 years old and now healed by the power of the name of Christ. So the council had opposed his name. So we saw the apostles uh, defending his name. We see the council opposing his name. The last group we're going to look at is the church calling on his name. Verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David had said, Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth stood their stand, uh, took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So the apostles returned to the church. The council thought, hey, you know what, we'll threaten them and then we're going to send them away. There's nothing else they could do. They were too afraid, so they send them away. And what do they first, what do they do? They go and they get amongst their brothers and sisters and they report and they, they, what we see here is the church immediately setting the perfect example for persecution for, for believers. They go with one accord to prayer, petitioning the creator, the omniscient one, the omnipotent one. And I like in their prayer, they don't say, yo, God, what's up? Right? They come to the creator. Lord, you are God, it says in verse 24, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's within them. When we're petitioning God based on him being the almighty, this is a very situa a very serious situation and the, the first persecution that the church had seen. Warren Wearsby shared a prayer by Phillips Brooks, an uh, 1800s minister. He said, do not pray for easy lives. Pray, for, uh, pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your task. I love that. I had to share that. I'm going to read it one more time. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Important thing for us to realize. They were, uh, they were being persecuted. And what did they do? They all gather together, men and women, 
bound together in prayer, petitioning the Creator. And they're quoting Psalm 2, referencing the opposition to Christ, that the rulers had gathered together against the Lord. And they mention here that that Herod and Pontius Pilate and all others uh, present were opposing Christ. The world still stands in opposition of Christ and will only grow more defiant. The name of Jesus Christ is growing more and more grotesque in the eyes of this world uh, as time goes on. We see that, that, uh, the, that good is being called evil and evil is being called good. We're watching it unfold. And it's been happening over, it's not like this is a new thing, but we're seeing that ramp up in our lives. We're seeing those things uh, just coming out. And the church knew that uh, they needed the power of the Holy Spirit to defend the enemy, to defeat the enemy. You know, I, I like here that it says to do whatever your hand and your purpose determine before to be done. Jesus Christ's crucifixion was not a surprise to him. Right during his ministry, and we've studied this at length. Jesus Christ said that he came here. He did not in these exact words. He came here on a mission, and that mission was to die for mankind. And you, when you read Hebrews, we learn that the blood of bulls and goats was not sufficient. It was a foretelling of what Christ was going to do, right? Remember when Jesus died? The, the, the gospel accounts speak of the veil of the temple being torn, the veil that separated man from God being torn. That Jesus Christ was the one that came, and when he died as the, for the penalty of our sins, that separation between God and man is gone. There's no con- there's there's no separation between God and man. That's all gone. Jesus spoke repeatedly of his upcoming crucifixion. It wasn't a surprise, and God used ungodly men to accomplish His will. Jesus was sent here with a mission to die. He fulfilled that mission. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? What did He say? It is finished. To tell us, die. It just, that was it. It is finished. The work had been done. Verse 29, they're continuing their prayer. Now, Lord, look on these threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they petition the Lord to look on their threats. This was not telling them them telling the Lord what to do, but asking the Lord to act on their behalf. They act for ask for boldness to speak the word of God is, is what they're asking. You know, that God would stretch out his hand and heal and do wonders. They wanted to glorify Christ. They didn't ask to be delivered from the situation. They said, look on these things and grant us that we would have boldness to speak your word. They didn't say, God, take away this uh, anything here. They're saying, this is what we're facing. And as we're facing it, we're asking you for boldness. That's quite a prayer, right? I can say for me, I'd be like, Lord, take this situation. Take it away. Make it go away. What do these guys do? Say, we know what we're going into. We need your boldness. We need your strength. We need your spirit. And that's what they're praying for. They wanted to glorify Jesus Christ. They're asking for signs and wonders to be done, not so that they can start their own ministries of, you know, we got the healing ministry and we're going to get the, the tent. And we're going to have all kinds of cotton candy and everybody come and everything. And, and we're going to wow you. They wanted to glorify Jesus Christ. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they 
spoke the word of God with boldness. When they prayed, the place shook. They were filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.8 says, And do not be drunk with wine, which, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the, with the Spirit. What does God want us to be filled with? The junk of this world, we can fill ourselves with that, or we can ask Him to fill us with His Holy Spirit. You know, God, in response to their prayer for boldness, gave them boldness. It says right there. They were assembled together, were shaken, and uh, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Answered prayer right there. We might have a while to wait after we lift a prayer, but this is a prayer of boldness in the face of persecution. And what do they do? They just lay it out to God and say, we need this, and God answers. He ministers to them. Remember what Acts chapter 1 said, and I know I, we already read it, but Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The power. They were speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. They were given the power to minister to individuals. They were given the power to minister to masses. Whatever it is that, uh, that whoever it is that God draws to us and draw to them, the Lord answered their prayers and equipped them to serve Him. That they were there to preach the name of Jesus Christ, no matter what. So that last group was the church, and what did the church do? They called on His name. The apostles defended His name. The councils opposed His name, and the church called upon His name. It was just at that pastor's conference. I'll wrap it up right here. Ma Mike McClure, pastor of Calvary Chapel in uh, somewhere in, in California. I don't know which one he's at. He, uh, he spoke at the conference. And during COVID, his church was fined millions of dollars for having church. They, uh, now, you guys know, and I'll, I'll back up. You know that this church closed down for a very short period. Very short period of time according to the government's mandate. And uh, then realized, wait a minute, we're being told that we can't gather together in the name of Christ. When people are going, the other places that are open, the liquor stores open, the pot dispensaries are open, you can go and you can do all these things, but you can't go to church. This church made the decision, Will, as the pastor at the time, said, Church doors are open. Anybody who wants to come, come. If you want to stay home, stay home. There was no judging like, oh, if you don't come, you're not a, a true believer. Or if you come, you know, you're, you're a superhero. It was very much a, you want to come, come. You want to sit by yourself in the corner with a mask on, awesome. But we weren't going to forsake the gathering together of the brethren as he, Hebrews 10.25 warns against. That was the same approach that Mike McClure took. We're not shutting our doors. People are hurting. People are killing themselves. There was a, a police officer that called Mike McClure saying, hey, I got a call and tell you you need to, you need to shut the doors. He's saying, I can't. You're, you're a police officer. What would you do if you see a kid out in the middle of the freeway? You see him out, see her. It was a little girl he was talking about. You see her out there, and you know you can save her. Somebody's telling you you can't go out. You're going to go out and save her or not? He's saying, that's what I'm doing for souls. We're not shutting down. It was an encouragement to, to see. You know, they were, they were even told they couldn't sing. Can't sing. 
that guys, I'm not trying to just be political about this. What I'm telling you is they were being told you cannot gather together for Christian church. You can't gather together. For us, that means you can't gather together in the name of Christ. These were adults that made the decision saying, hey, I want to go to church. I need to go to church. I need to be in fellowship. And he had church. Guys, it's funny because those prosecuting them have dropped off one by one. I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. Judges, when he went into court, the judges are saying, okay, tell me what a pastor does. And he explains what the, what the, the responsibilities of a pastor are. To care for the flock, to feed the flock, to protect the flock, lead them in the ways of God. And he's, he went on for 45 minutes. His dad came up and taught afterward. 45 minutes. And the judge was like, I admire you. The, the original prosecutors have stepped down. The two originals came to the church to apologize to him. In the love of Christ, you know, he said, uh, you know, in such grace, he's like, awesome. You're forgiven. That's, that's fine. Is there anything we can pray for you for? Yes. So they go to the church and they pray for these people and invite them to stay. And they stayed. And, and uh, the church prayed for them. The law enforcement that was there supposed to be shutting down the church, the sheriff, the deputies, they all attended the church. It was, it was amazing. He knew that he was commissioned by God to be a pastor, to preach the word of God to hurting people. Like I said, this was life and death. People were killing themselves. Hopelessness. And he's saying, I can't. Millions of dollars. And then they're the, the, I don't know where it's at in the appeals and everything. At one point, I, I was told that he won and that they were awarded millions of dollars. And then there, there's still some back and forth, but it looks like they're still trying to work this out uh, legally because they can't keep prosecutors on board. They're all just saying, I've got re- to excuse myself from this. And then they start attending the church. Because they realized they weren't just trying to be bucking system and everything. They realized that the word of God was being preached and that that's what everybody needed in that time to carry them through. And that he couldn't shut his mouth. He couldn't but preach in the name of Christ to save, literally save lives, physical lives, spiritual lives. He couldn't stop. He had to come to that point where he said, you know, the, the church doors are open. If people want to come, they're coming. If you want to find me, find me. But I'm going to preach in the name of Christ. You know, we, uh, we have an amazing God that loves us so, so much. We need to trust him. Be able to just share his love. Not be afraid and just ask for boldness. And I say boldness and love. Because we can be bold and just chop off ears. We can be so bold and just walk around and in pride trying to share the gospel. When all we're trying to do is make ourselves look good. Sharing the, the true God. The, the miracle that had happened was evident. And everybody was drawn in by it. These guys were ready to defend the gospel. And when they were, they were threatened, they went to the Lord and they were given boldness to share. Let it be the same for us that we would share boldly in love in his name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the encouragement for us to live our lives unashamed of your name. Lord, that we wouldn't be afraid to say the name of Jesus Christ. And that you would open up opportunities for us to share your love and your grace and your mercy. Who you are, Lord. Not be afraid 
of what our enemy is whispering in our ear that we shouldn't do. And God, that we would stand boldly in your name, unashamed of our faith, willing to share it, understanding that the stakes are eternal. We have to speak the name of Christ as you lead us to. Give us your boldness. Give us your strength. Give us your love. Give us your grace, your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.